I'm guessing I can that any of us can walk into a room full of strangers and find one thing that everybody will agree on. I'm a good person, right? I completely understand uh, the idea of, of saying this or believing this, especially in a culture that prizes self-esteem, self-confidence, self-identification. Uh, another thing that is really the strength of our culture, especially a younger generation, the younger generation, I should say, is a desire to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Some, it's the idea of making the world a better place becomes the rally cry. More, more than make my personal bubble completely awesome. Right? Two different ideas of, of how we approach what we do in the day. Now, I acknowledge that I'm painting this with a, a broad brush. But if I'm going to paint with a broad brush, I might as well paint with a brush of hope, right? That there is something in our culture that is stronger, that has strength to it. But here's the thing. And I'm going to break down my message of hope here, I guess. If we hold these two ideas together of I'm a good person and I'm trying to do something bigger than myself or be a part of something bigger than myself, make the world a better place, we can hit some potholes that can trip us up. Now, the letter I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to focus mainly out of Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome, uh, Romans 2, 1 through 5. The letter is written to believers, um, and Paul puts a spotlight on the pothole that, so that we know it's there, so we can at least be aware of it because you know the danger that you can see is at least easier to avoid than the danger that you cannot see. If you have driven in Chicago, uh Potholes is the perfect example of that. But as we'll see, the dangers and the hopes apply both to Christians, to believers, and to non-believers as well. So if we're if being a part of this you know biggest question series uh, that we've been kind of going back and forth on for the last couple of weeks, we're gonna try and answer that question. People are basically good right? You know, people want to believe that. And I completely understand that. But people, I say people want to believe people that others are good, that people, humanity are basically good. And then they set their alarm and triple deadbolt the front door before they go to bed, right? I admit I do it too. Again, I'm from Chicago. I, you cannot take that part out of who I am. So let's go after the question. And let's, I'm going to set up an illustration, and then uh, we'll we'll get into the text. But first off, we need to agree what what's good. You know, Christians are often criticized for saying that when it comes to good, when it comes to answering this question, that we need a standard. Christians, for whatever reason, we get a lot of flack for that. Some say that a standard for good is relative or that it is allowed to change or morph over time or evolve over time as culture changes and all that. Case in point, um, if the police say, don't drive over the speed limit. Now you ask Granny Smith and you ask Dale Earnhardt what speed limit looks like or what speed limit means, you're gonna get two very different answers. Dale Earnhardt's probably gonna say, you know what, I drive normally at 180 miles an hour and Granny Smith is gonna say something very different. So a speed limit that's relative, 
it ends up leading to some chaos. If you try and build a transportation system on that idea, you better have a lot of accident cleanup crews. I'll just say it that way. So we set the speed limit. Here is the standard. Speed limit is 30 miles an hour, at least around here. God forbid it's a standard for everybody or a, a norm or a benchmark for everybody. If you don't believe me and you're around here, drive 50 miles an hour through downtown Palmyra and see what happens. Let me know in the comments. So how do we define a standard? Well, let's ask a question. <laughs> and though this is going to be kind of a Christian-based question, it's one that we can get just about everybody to play along, whatever they may think whatever they may think or whatever they may believe about this idea. But if we ask a hundred people, let's say, if heaven exists, how does a person get in? Now, to be sure, Christianity teaches and believes that heaven does exist, but I can't make that assumption that everybody believes that. You know, you get people, I was looking at uh, Pew Research this week and people even amongst mainline Christianity who don't necessarily believe that heaven exists. And then you get to those who are agnostic or atheist, and obviously the, the percentage goes way down. But I can basically never assume that somebody believes in a heaven. So if it exists, and I believe it does, but if it exists, you can usually get people to play along. So they will often say, uh, understandably, the way to get into heaven is to be a good person. You know, do good things, make more good things outweigh the bad, you know, as far as the, the scales of justice, if you will, rightly or wrongly, um, they, this is a, an answer you can get commonly to, to this question. Now, Michael Ramsden, who is the president of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, which is a, a Christian apologetics ministry, has an excellent book, an excellent illustration that I'm going to demonstrate for you now. Ready? Here we go. All right, so this is the illustration that Michael Ramsden puts out. As far as the human being understanding or the human standard of good people, okay? He says, think of it like a bookshelf, all right? I have one here that has four layers, uh, four levels. You could do this with as many different levels as you want, but you have the top layer, which has the, the Mother Teresas of the world, uh, the Billy Grahams of the world, the uh, Martin Luther King Juniors of the world, the people that we th look at them and we think these are, are like the pillars of good people. Okay, they're on the top shelf. Uh, yes, that is my wife and my kids that are also on the top shelf. So, um, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we go on to the next level and we have those who do a lot of good things, who their job is to do good things. You got, you know, paramedics, um, firefighters, police, stuff like that. And they're on this next level. Okay. Then below that, you have the level that is, well, hey, at least I didn't murder anybody, right? You have probably the rest of, or a lot of, the bulk, a lot of, a lot of people. Okay. And, and then you have, on the last level, you have the dictators, the Hitlers, the Stalins, the college professors that decided they were going to fail you on their, the final exam, uh, all down at the bottom. Okay, you have all these, these different levels. Now, I'm going to go to start off our, our passage for this week. Um, Romans 2, verses 1 and 2. It reads, Therefore you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself, 
because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. You say, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is in accordance with truth. Okay, so we have all these different levels, and again, you could do this to the umpteenth degree as far as how many shelves you have and how many levels of goodness you have or, or people being good that you have, but it, uh, it asks the next question then. Where amongst this is the dividing line between who gets into heaven and who does not get into heaven? If people get into heaven, if, you know, the, that kind of universal answer of you get into heaven by being a good person, what, what level on our spectrum here, on our bookshelf here, what level marks the you get into heaven and the you don't get into heaven part? Or, or you know, it explores that, that question a little bit more. And here's Ramsden's observation about this. He says, what most people will do is they'll find their spot on the bookshelf and then they'll draw the line right underneath it. So if, if I'm a firefighter or, you know, on this level of good, I'll say, all right, here's where I am. That means everybody that gets into heaven, this is the benchmark for it. Everybody that's above it, which includes me, is fine. Everybody below it, better luck next time. You know, we were, it was, uh, last week we were talking about the Zacchaeus story. And Zacchaeus is, uh, Jesus amongst all the crowd is going to, to, to Zacchaeus and says, come down, I need to, to go to your house tonight. And many people know the story, some people don't. But we took a moment to focus on the crowd. All who saw it saw Jesus kind of inviting himself to Zacchaeus' house, saw it and began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Said like their garbage doesn't stink. Like they don't know anything about sinning. Saying, all right, here's, the ben here's where I am, so here's the benchmark of those that Jesus should be visiting. And everybody below that, well, better luck next time. We're on shelf one. Zacchaeus is on shelf two. So, you know what? We're good. Zacchaeus, sorry, you're just scum because you're down below us. The passage goes on of Romans 2. Do you imagine, whoever you are, that when you judge those who do such things and yet you do them yourself, will, you will escape the judgment of God? Or you do, do you despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But by your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So here's Paul shining a spotlight on that pothole that I was talking about earlier. He says, if you're doing good things, and yes, human beings can do good things, even altruistic things, then great. But if you're doing good things so that you've got an ace in the hole that you can one-up somebody, danger, Will Robinson, danger. Maybe you've heard the response to that, that question, are you a good person or are, you know, how do you rate yourself as far as being a good person or a bad person? And you hear people respond, well, at least I never murdered anybody. Now, a side note, uh, quite honestly, it says a lot when murdering or not murdering somebody is the benchmark for goodness. But keep in mind the idea that we were just talking about or, or showing with the idea of the bookshelf. Based on 
the human definition of good, for a Christian, we acknowledge that the benchmark is a lot higher. Certainly more than, you know, I didn't murder somebody. So what's God's benchmark for good? It comes out of Jesus' words out of Matthew 5. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, if that definition makes you squirm a little bit, I get it. So let's try again uh, and continue with what Paul was saying in Romans 3. Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, it's kind of hard to exclude yourself from that idea of all. Gonna, there's not really a lot of loopholes in that idea. It's pretty all-encompassing. You know, Tim Keller, a, uh, a pastor in New York, he tells a story of a literature professor who had a class of kids, and he had, she had them read the Sermon on the Mount. Now, some people knew the, the passage, and some people didn't. This is out of Matthew 5, uh, Matthew 5 through 7. But as they read it, and they're reading it from a literature perspective, most people in the class hated it. And the professor asked why, continuing the conversation. And they, they actually had a very good answer said, the standard for behavior was so high, I can never live up to it. I just get frustrated out of my mind. Well, there's some honest truth there. And people on any of Ramsden's bookshelves, from the Mother Teresa's all the way down to the Hitler's, would look at the standard of behavior for uh, that comes out in the Sermon on the Mount and think, yeah, that's pretty high. I, I'd have a, a hard time living up to any of it. But then the conversation went on. And the professor said, but aren't these the kinds of people you'd want to hang out with? Aren't these the kinds of things you'd want to see in other people? People who, um, who are willing to turn the other cheek, who are willing to, to forgive, who are willing, you know, if you ask for the cloak off their back, they'll give, you, they'll give you two. And the room gets quiet. And the professor starts to summarize the attitude that the students are demonstrating. He says, I'm going to hold everybody else to this standard in the Sermon on the Mount, but I'm going to be angry if you hold me to it. I'm going to make sure everybody else lives up to it, but if you ask me to live up to it, no, I'm going to get angry with you. I'm going to get frustrated. Again, Paul is spending three chapters calling out believers on this. This is not a just a critique, non-believers thing, because if we look at it and we think, yeah, go get them, those non-believers and all that sort of stuff, we're falling into the very pit, very pothole that Paul is talking about here. Because if I wanted to fit God's standard for believers and for non-believers onto the whole bookshelf illustration, I need a bookshelf that reaches all the way to Mars. And probably that wouldn't even do the trick. But thank God, that's not the end of the story. There, there's many parts, and I believe it's in Romans 5 as well, that Paul sticks in my two favorite words in the Bible, but God. The story looks so dismal and so hopeless, but God does something. And we see it in Romans 3. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. So two weeks ago, we were talking about um, the woman who was busted in adultery. She'd been brought before Jesus in the temple and, and the, uh, 
the leaders of the temple were like, hey, you know, she's supposed to get stoned now. What do you say, Jesus? And I called that message uncondemned. Not because the condemnation doesn't come. Not because God blows it off. The condemnation comes, but it falls on Jesus instead of on the woman. See, for the one who puts their faith in Jesus, you're blessed not so that you can hold it over others or to think, ha ha, go get them, those non-believers, you know, stick it to them. But so you can pass that blessing on. Just like many people have used this illustration of one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. Or John Piper says, we are blessed to be a blessing to other people, to share that hope, to share that good news of the gospel, of the hope that we have in Jesus. See, for the one, for the one who believes that all of this is hogwash, we can do systematic backflips all day. But in the end, you know what? Two plus two is going to equal four. This is going to be the standard that we all are marked up against. But Paul writes all of this not to bring down the hammer, but to call us out, to give us a chance to turn and, and to remind us, here's the situation, but God provided a way through in Jesus. And when we ask him, when we ask Jesus for forgiveness, he will meet that perfect standard for us rather than us trying to live up to it, which, by the way, even Mother Teresa would, and would agree, ain't going to happen. So the next steps that I have, they count for everybody. Wherever you are on the belief spectrum, if you believe and have, have trusted Jesus with your life, or if you look at, at this and think heaven and God and all that sort of stuff, I don't know what to make of it. And everywhere in between, this all counts for you. If you can think of somebody in your life, whether it's somebody in your family or somebody you see on the street or, or in the store, and you sort of default to considering them on the goodness shelf below you, then pray for them this week. Or if you've never prayed and you think prayer ain't my thing, then find some way to wish them well this week because the, the effect is going to be the same. It's hard to pray for somebody. It's hard to wish them well and snub your nose at them at the same time. To think they're below me or, you know, um, how could Jesus spend time with that person, a sinner? It's hard to pray for somebody and to wish them well and snub your nose at them at the same time or look down at them at the same time. And who knows? When we do this, when we pray for somebody that maybe we look down on in other cases, when we wish somebody well that maybe we might turn away from at any other time, who knows? God may just work through you in that person. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Even when we totally didn't meet the standard that that you set, that you demonstrated. Even when we were your enemies, you came and gave your life for us to meet the standard for us. So allow us to, to treasure that gift and to pay it forward to others, to share that hope and to share that grace with other people. Transform us so that we can do that a little more each and every day we pray. Amen.